You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Luke chapter 11 is where we will be. Um, We will start in verse 1, and we'll read all the way down to verse 4. Verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray together one more time. Father, We just want to center ourselves around you and your word in the next few moments that we have together. Um, Help us to be fully present. I pray that you'll take these words which are active and living, and your words are sharper than a two-edged sword, and that you will drive them into our hearts, that you will bring about a sweet conviction where there needs to be a sweet conviction, and encouragement where there needs to be encouragement, and maybe even bring about life where there's death. We thank you so much for the privilege right now that we can come to you and that you hear us. And so we do pray and we ask in faith that you do something that is unmistakable today in the fact that you are able to take us and you are transforming us from the inside out for the good of ourselves and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'll never forget my first day on the job as a college-slash-evangelism minister at the First Baptist Church in Paragould, Arkansas. Um, just to give you a little context, I had only been a Christian for about six months, but I had just recently started a college ministry um, that had kind of taken off, and so First Baptist Church called me and said, hey, uh, quit your job, and we'll just pay you to keep doing what you're doing. So I was like, all right, that's awesome. And so um, my first day on the job, I mean, keep in mind, like, I- I'd never been in a leadership position. I knew maybe three and a half Bible verses. Um, I-, I was young, I was dumb, but Jesus had changed my life, and I was passionate about discipling college students towards him. So my first day on staff, it's a Monday morning, I walk into the lead pastor's office, and he's in the middle of sermon prep, which I've now learned as a pastor who uh, uh, you know, preps for sermons each week. That's not the best time to, to come in for a meeting, but uh, unannounced. But, but I walk into his office, and I'm like, hey, Brother Scott, and he's like, can I help you? And I said, yeah, man, I just want to say, first off, thank you so much again for allowing me to have the opportunity to be on staff here. I promise I will not disappoint you. But secondly, you know, I just thought it'd be great if as a staff, we all came together and we just prayed. You know, we just go to the sanctuary, right, which is what we called it, and we prayed for our church and for our leaders and for our city. And I thought this would be impressive, but he looks at me and he says, hey, how long have you been in vocational ministry? And I was like, well, let's see, about 25 minutes. And he says, okay, I've been in for 25 years. Let me call the shots, okay? And I was like, okay, all right. So not off to the best start in the world. So I go back up to the third floor, which is where my office is. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm there and I'm, you know, I'm not discouraged because I'm thinking I'm going to change the world. And so I'm sitting there doing my thing. And all of a sudden I hear this 1920s like elevator uh, creaking up to the third floor. And I was like, okay, my very first visitor, you know, I'm excited about this. And so, um, but out walks, not a visitor, but Brother Scott. And so he looks at me and he says, uh, come on, let's go. 
And I was like, where are we going? He says, uh, we're going to go pray. I felt guilty after you, you know, asked me. And I said, no. So I got the staff together. Let's go pray. And so I was like, okay, probably not the purest motives in the world, but all right, excellent. And so we go uh, down to the auditorium and we get down um, on the little steps by the stage. And there is Brother Joe, who's our senior adult slash music minister. There's Jeremy Nottingham, who's this up and coming youth, you know, star, youth ministry star, who would like go on to be a youth minister in one of the largest churches in America. And awesome dude, still love these guys. And, uh, and of course, Brother Scott and, and they all pray and then... I, I, it comes to my time, and I start praying, and I just feel like so good about it. I'm like, man, this prayer is awesome. It's going to bring the heavens, all this. And finally, I get down. I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to pray. Amen. And I look up, and I'm smiling, but I look at Brother Scott, and he's just like still head down like this. And I, you know, I'm like, did he fall asleep? What's going on? But eventually, he raises his head up, and I'm not kidding. He looks right at me, and he says, uh, hey, has anybody ever told you how much you say dear Lord in your prayers? <laughs> I was like, um... No, actually, nobody's ever said it. He's like, well, you say it like every other word, dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord. So as you can imagine, like, I felt shame, I felt embarrassment. But to make matters even worse, two hours after that, we decided to go have a staff meeting at the Red Goose Deli. It was before it was in this building. Um, it was back in uh, where Skinny Jays is now. Our food comes out, and Brother Scott looks at me and he says, hey, Jared, how about you pray for us? And immediately, as you can imagine, I start getting anxious, I start getting nervous, and I'm thinking to myself, do not say, dear Lord, do not say, dear Lord, do not say, dear Lord. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. I said, okay, let's pray. Dear Lord. And I stop, and I'm just like horrified. Oh, you're such an idiot. And I said, and before I can even try to recover, all of a sudden, I can feel the table shaking. And Brother Scott, who's like this portly pastor, his belly, he's laughing so hard, his belly's shaking the table, right? I mean, he's just like... You know, trying not to laugh, and everybody else bust out laughing, and, and, and I don't even think we prayed over the meal, we just dove into it. Before the next four years, dear Lord, became the ongoing joke on our staff. And listen, here's the reason I share that story. Whether you've been a Christian for years, or you just started following Jesus, whether you're on staff, or you're a lay member, prayer can just be awkward sometimes, can it? I mean, sometimes it just can feel so forced and wooden. And listen, I know like it's supposed to be, according to the Bible, the air we breathe. But for many of us, if we can be honest, doesn't prayer at times feel more like carrying a burden than it does like catching your breath? I mean, especially in an overly busy culture like ours where you hear a series on prayer, you feel a little guilty over the fact that you don't pray very often. So you're like, okay, tomorrow morning, Monday morning, I'm going to get up, I'm going to pray. And so you get up, you carve out some space to pray, but when you do, within like 10 seconds, your mind's running all over the place, right? You're thinking about what all you have to do. I mean, you've got lunches to pack, bills to pay, text messages to return, and oh yeah, Stranger Things Season 2 is out, Right? And so it's like, which by the way, how many of you have seen Stranger Things Season 2? Favorite show of hands? Okay, how many of you finished it? Several, all right, awesome. My wife and I just finished it last night. It's excellent. So anyways, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're missing out. But anyways, um, in our culture, and there's just so much going on, right? And, and so therefore, like, we know we're supposed to pray, but prayer just feels forced. And when we do make time for it, I mean, our minds are running all over the place. And listen, let me encourage you this morning. If that's where you are, you may feel like a really lousy Christian. But the good news is you actually qualify to be a disciple of Jesus. And here's why I say that. Because in Luke 11, literally the disciples, the ones who've been living with Jesus and following after Jesus, the ones who have given up everything to follow after Christ, they come to him and they say, man, there's one thing we really need you to show us how to do. There's one thing that we're not very good at that we really want your help on. And what is it? 
Well, if you look back with me in verse 1, Luke 11, verse 1, it says Jesus was praying in a certain place, which you would see Jesus do often. He was always praying. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples came up to him. And what is the request they have for Christ? Lord, teach us how to pray. Before we go any further, I want to encourage you with two big things this morning that I want you to see right here in this statement. Notice, first off, whenever the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't look at them and say, are are you being serious right now? Teach you how to pray. How long have you been following me? I mean, this is Christianity one-on-one. You should be a varsity Christian by now. Teach you how to pray? No, he doesn't do that. He's just going to, as we're going to see in a minute, gently instruct them in how to pray. And then second, and this is huge, guys. Think about this. Think about this. Of all of the things that the disciples would see Jesus do in his life, like walk on water, feed 5,000 people with just a few pieces of bread and fish, raise the dead, of all of the things they see Jesus do, there's only one thing they said, teach us how to do that. And it's prayer. Hmm. You know, the text doesn't say this, but you know, the reason I believe this, the reason I believe the disciples are so interested in Jesus teaching them how to pray is because they knew this was the power source for all of Jesus' life. When they looked at the life of Christ, they saw that this prayer, it was the center point of his relationship with God. It was woven into the, the daily just, just fabric of his existence, into his morning routine, into his weekly schedule. They watched how Jesus always made time for prayer, no matter how busy he was. They watched as he would even, at times, not sleep because he knew that prayer was more important than sleep. And therefore, they go to him and they say, more than we want to see or know how to do anything else, we need you to teach us how to pray. And so Jesus begins to teach them. And today, if we'll listen, he wants to teach us as well. And the first thing that he wants us to see this morning, and I'm going to spend most of the sermon focusing on this point. So if I spend like 20 minutes on the first point, you're like, wow, there's still three left. Don't freak out, okay? And so the first thing that when it comes to prayer that we have to get today is that when we are praying to God, we need to realize that God is your Father. You need to realize today that God is your Father. Listen, to most of us when I say that, you hear that and you're like, okay, cool, next point. But just put yourself in the place of the first century disciples for one moment. For us, when we hear the fact that God is our Father, we say, okay, that's pretty neat. But do you realize for a first century Jew, to hear the fact that God is their Father, like it would have blown their minds. I mean, they would have heard Jesus say this, and they would have said, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute now, Jesus. Like, that's a little casual now, isn't it, Rabbi? That God is our Father? I mean, don't you mean, Jesus, that whenever we pray, we should come to God and we should say, Almighty, Sovereign King of the Universe? Isn't that what you actually mean, Jesus? And of course, Jesus believed that was true about God. But notice, Jesus says, when you pray because of what I am going to do for you through my life, death, and resurrection, when you go to God, yes, he is your almighty sovereign king, but you go to him and you address him as your father. When you pray, do you say, Father? If not, why? I started thinking this past week, I have several titles. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm a soccer coach. I uh, just sort of uh, started as a chaplain at a local factory, so I'm a chaplain. But you know what I want my kids to call me? The greatest sign of respect that they can show me is when they come to me is not call me Pastor Jared, Brother Jared, Coach Jared. I want my kids to call me Dad. I want them to call me Dad. And Jesus says, man, if you're going to have a powerful prayer life, the first thing you have to get is that this is what God wants from you. 
He wants you to have a relationship with him where you go to him as your father. And I just want to acknowledge this morning for some of you, this is not going to be easy. For some of you, you've grown up in a home with an earthly father who was abusive, a father who had a hair trigger temper, maybe was constantly shaming you or was emotionally distant. For some of you, you had a father who left your family because of his own lust and he cheated on your mom or he just said, you know what, I'm going I'm to live for myself rather than living for my family. And, and listen, for some of you, because of this, it has created relational wounds that you are projecting onto God the Father. You were looking to your heavenly Father as the same way that you look at your earthly father. And therefore, for you, this idea of God being your father is going to make prayer not easier for you, but it's going to make it harder for you. And that is why John Tyson says, until we learn to break the stronghold of the false images of who God is in our minds, we will never be drawn to prayer. Jesus says, you want to have a powerful prayer life? Listen, before you can ever get the how, you have to get the who. Because plain and simple, if you do not get the who, the how will never matter. This is why we encourage you to do things like take the Enneagram, which is all about going and understanding how your past is distorting how you relate to God. It's why we encourage you to get into a fight club, to learn to fight your sin with the gospel, to deal with some of the junk in your life in a place where you can be known, belong, and be loved in a, in a safe culture where the gospel will be applied to the situation. And if you're here today and you've taken the Enneagram or you're involved in a fight club and you're still not getting any traction in dealing with some of this junk, it's one of the reasons we have Adam on staff. It's Adam's job is to help meet with, with, with you and to work through these things. And listen, guys, this is not always easy. Sometimes it's going gonna, it's gonna to be scary. Sometimes it's going to tick you off. Sometimes, I mean, it's just stuff that we don't really like to work through. But listen, if you want to truly experience a life-giving, joy-filled, healthy prayer life, we have to take this step. Some of you this morning, you have a prayer life that is non-existent. You might throw up a prayer every now and then while you're driving down the road. And listen, I'm telling you, for most of us in here today, the reason we don't pray is not because we have a how problem, we have a who problem. Some of you in here, you are still viewing God, though you would never say this with your mouth, in your heart, you're still viewing God as like this grumpy old man in the sky who's just like waiting for you to mess up, always complaining, always bickering, you know, get off my yard, right? I mean, like... That's the way you view God. Some of you view God as a CEO, right, who's like sitting up in his ivory tower far, 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 far away, and he's too busy for you. You're a peon. Some of you view God as this impersonal energy force. And if that's where you are, you'll never have a desire to pray. I mean, who would? Who in the world would want to talk to a God like this? But on the other hand, if you believe that the creator of the universe is now your loving father, that's a different story. You know, I am by no means a perfect dad on a weekly basis, probably a daily basis, I have to repent to my kids and ask for their forgiveness because I just suck as a dad sometimes. But here's the thing. Whenever I pull up at my house every afternoon when I get home around 5, 5.15, because my kids know I want to spend time with them, they want to spend time with me. They do. And so, like, for example, on Thursday when I pulled up, they wanted me to play hide-and-seek with them. So I'm playing hide-and-seek with them, and our neighbor's kids were always over the house. Right? I, on Friday, I pulled up, and because we're going to watch the Tech Pirigal football game, Wyatt knows this, so he's like, I want to play tackle football. So we get the football, and we go. I mean, they, they want to spend time with me. And again, like, I'm by no means a perfect parent, but at the end of the day, my kids are drawn to me because they know that as their father, I love them, and I have good intentions for them. In the same way, Jesus says, before you get anything else, you have to realize that God is a loving father who has good intentions for you. One of the reasons you're not wanting to spend time with God, you don't believe that's true. 
But this is first and foremost. The second thing he says is, because God is our Father, what we also have to get today is when it comes to prayer, is that the primary goal of prayer then is the joyful, grateful, worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. This is what Jesus means when he says that we are to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, I'm guessing for most of us in here, hallowed is not a term we use, right, that often. I mean, how many of you try to sweet talk your wife this week and was like, hallowed be your name, girl, right? Like, I mean, it's like, it's not the way we, we don't, we, it's not something we do anymore. So what exactly does Jesus, is, what does he mean when he says hallowed be your name? And in simple terms, to hallowed God's name is to set God apart. To hallowed God's name is to see him as sacred and ultimate. It's to realize that he is better than anyone or anything else in all of creation. And I've been thinking about this a lot this past week. Think about this. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, whatever you spend time with God, when you just hang out in his presence, you experience fruit that begins to pop out of your life. And what are the first uh, three fruits that he mentions? By just being with God, you experience love and joy and peace. Who in here, whether you're a Christian or not, says, I don't really want any of that? Right? Like, like we all want to feel love, don't we? We all want joy. I mean, we're looking for it. Adam's message a few weeks ago talked about contentment. Like, the more we get, the more we want. Because the things in the world can't satisfy us. We're all looking for joy. In God's presence, there is, there is joy. And by just spending time with God, by just being with Him, it says in Galatians that we also experience the ability to go, we get peace. No matter how chaotic life gets. This is what happens by simply learning to be with God, abiding in His presence. You receive a love from Him, which in return is so amazing, it makes you want to love Him back and love yourself and love others. You receive a joy that is unshakable. You receive a peace that cannot be taken from you, no matter how unstable life around you gets. And listen, that's just how good our God is. All you have to do is learn to abide in His presence And this is what we experience. This is what Jesus is referring to here when he says, Hallowed be your name. He's reminding us that God is the ultimate source of our lives. And therefore, what that means is this, guys. Please get this today. The main point of prayer, the main point of prayer is not going to God to get things from God. The main point of prayer is going to God so you can get God. The main point of prayer is not going to God and saying, you know what, maybe he'll be like the celestial venom machine. I put in the quarter and I get something back, right? The main point of prayer is not going to God and saying, maybe if I go to him, he'll give me some things that will make me happy. It's going to him and realizing that he alone actually can be the one who will make you happy. And listen, we're going to talk about this more in just a minute, and I'm going to spend the whole, uh, all of next week talking about this. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things. In fact, God does want us to ask him for things. But the greatest thing about prayer is that when you pray, when you realize who God is, guys, you get to tap into the presence of the supreme being of the universe who is more beautiful and more glorious and life-giving than anyone or anything else. This is what Jesus says he's reminding us of whenever he says, pray, hallowed be your name. Tim Keller, who definitely is going to say it better than I could, says it like this in his book on prayer. To hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God. And even more, a wondrous sense of His beauty. Consider, everybody consider, consider how different this is from the normal way that we use prayer. To get things. We may believe in God, 
But our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasure seems safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Ouch, right? Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, Keller says, this is because he has not yet become our happiness. Truth is today, no matter who you are, where you come from, whether you consider yourself a religious or not, all of us in here are hallowing something. Everybody in here was created as a worshiper. You worship something. There was something that you look to as the ultimate source of your happiness. So the question I just want to ask you before we go any further is what is that for you? What is it that you hallow above anything else? What is it that you adore the most? Is it success? Is it approval? Is it comfort? Is it your children? Is it money? I'm not saying anything, any of those things are bad, but if you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing, that will eventually drive you into the ground. There is nothing outside of God who will give you what you were created for, which is him who is the author of life. And this is the point. Jesus says you have to remember this when you go to God. That's why he says, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. That's our way of saying, Father, set, me, set yourself apart in my heart as who you really are. Help me to believe that you truly are holy and special and unique and beautiful and pure and true. Set yourself apart, Father, as the emotional source of my well-being. Sure, there's stuff I want to ask for in just a moment, but first and foremost, I want to dwell in your presence because I believe that I can have everything in the world. If I don't have you, I actually have nothing. That's what this means here. It's the second thing Jesus says we have to get if we're going to have a powerful prayer life. But then the third thing is this. He says not only do you need to go to God and realize he's your father and that the point of prayer is to enjoy just a relationship with him, but third He says, you need to realize that when you pray, your prayers actually make a difference. That's what he means right here when he says in verse 2 that we're to pray, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Or as he says in Matthew, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, guys, we don't often think this way, but according to Jesus, the main way, not the only way, but the main way that we're going to see God's kingdom come here is not through hardworking church members or smooth preaching or brand new programs. The primary way that we will see God's kingdom come in Paragold and in beyond is through what Jesus calls prayer. And I would say for most of us this morning, we have a really hard time believing that. In fact, if you think about, just think about this for individuals in here. Think about the last seven days in your life. If God answered your prayers in the last seven days, how would our world be different today? I mean, right, maybe you would have got a better parking spot. Right, that putt would have gone in. Right, or you would have got that promotion. But how, as a result of your prayers, if God would have answered it, would we have seen God's kingdom breaking more and more into this world? Because I... I 
I think for most of us, we have a hard time believing prayer is this powerful. And the reason I think that is is because a lot of us are bent towards what is called fatalism. It's this idea that, you know what, I mean, uh, God is sovereign, and therefore what's going to happen is going to happen with or without my prayer, so why even pray? Anybody else ever struggle with that? Uh, Why even pray? Because God's going to do whatever he's going to do anyways, even if I don't pray, so why pray? That's kind of a belief that a lot of us, I think, are a temptation we, we, we tend to fall into. But then we come to the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus says, actually, whenever you pray, things happen. Things change. I love what Dallas Willard says on this. He says, God's response to our prayer is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he's going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. Look at this next line. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with a dead ritual at best. Guys, the truth is when you pray, God uses your prayers to change humanity for humanity's good and his glory. And if you've been in our church For any stretch of time, you've seen this happen over and over and over. I could point to so many examples. And what I love about our church is I don't have to just go back to examples from four years ago. I can go back four days ago. I mean, four days ago, I'm sitting with our missional community at Kyle and Catherine Ritchie's house on Court Street. And a representative from World Relief is there teaching us and how to, uh, to, to minister to and serve refugees in our city that have been placed here because of persecution. And the reason that this is an answer to prayer is because a couple months ago, I'm driving down Court Street and I see a uh, Ethiopian woman who's a Muslim. You know, you can tell by how she's dressed and she's walking down the street and I just felt my heart tug for her. Like the Holy Spirit just placed a burden for this woman on my heart. And so, um, obviously as a man, I can't just like go approach a Muslim woman. Right, and so like I go to Julie Wilkins, who is here in our office. She was working here. I'm to Julie. I said, "Man, like, like God has placed a burden uh, on my heart for this Muslim woman, and I don't know what's going on. But we need to be praying for God to open a door for us to build a relationship with her. Because I think she's lonely. I don't know what's going on, but I, God wants us to build a relationship with this woman. And so we begin to pray. And then at our prayer meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. Right, Adam's leading us in prayer, and he says, hey, everybody, let's pray for Glocal. And so, like, as an MC, we're praying again for God to open up a door for uh, us to minister to refugees. And here's what's amazing. I go home, and I get a call from Karen Spencer from World Relief, who I'd never met. She gets my name because Josh and April Samuels are a part of the same church with her. Josh and April were a part of a church planning residency in Paragold a couple years ago. This woman for World Relief finds out that this woman, uh, this refugee woman, has been moved here because of persecution. And what happens, long story short, is whenever she was forced out of her country because of persecution, she was separated from her kids. For the last eight years, she's been told her children were dead. But on Tuesday, they were reunited. 17, 15-year-old moved here to Paragold with her. Someone gave her my name and said, she wants to meet y'all. I like to think I'm pretty smooth. I'd like to give myself credit for that. But everybody can look and say, I did nothing. You can't manufacture that. Guys, plain and simple, when we pray, it changes things. It just does. God, listen to this, God uses our prayers to bend reality towards his holy purposes. And I don't know how that is. It just is. It just is. Therefore, when we pray, listen, fellowship, we need to start going to God with a holy tremor and a healthy expectation that he will use our prayers to accomplish his mission. 
So that's the three things we have to get today if we're ever going to have a powerful prayer life. All comes right out of here in verse 2. And so just as a way of recap, can we put them back on the screen? If you're going to have a powerful prayer life, you have to realize God is your Father. The primary goal of prayer, uh, of prayer is a joyful, grateful, worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. And that prayer changes things. If you think about it, leave that on the screen for a second. Don't we often believe the opposite of that? That God is not our Father, He's just some distant being, He don't have time for us, or He's just mad at me all the time because I screwed up again today, right? Like, I'm going to go to God, but when I do, I'm just going to give Him my shopping list, or I'm going to kind of like sit on Santa's knee and just tell Him what I need, right? Like, He's not good, but other things are better than Him, and then, right? Like, prayer doesn't really change anything. If I don't pray, God's going to do whatever He does with or without my prayers. If you believe the opposite of these three things, your prayer life will never get off the ground, I'm telling you. But if you believe this, it will unlock a whole new dimension for your prayer life. Jesus says, you get these things, you're ready for the rest of the Lord's Prayer. And real quickly, what does he say? If you look in verse 3, the rest of the prayer goes like this. It says, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And Richard Foster's commentary on these verses, he sums 3 and 4 up like this. He says, at the heart, at the very heart of the universe is God's desire to give and forgive. Because God is a loving Father, there is absolutely a time for you to come to Him and say, God, I need you to please do this for me. There is absolutely a time and a place to go to the Father and know that He loves to give good gifts, as we'll see next week. He loves to give good gifts to His children. And according to this, we can go to Him with big kingdom request or something as small as our daily bread. You can go to God for something as big as the doctor said we can't have children. God, give us a kid. Or something as small as I'm going crazy. I need a break for my kids. Give me a babysitter so we can get away from our kids. Right? You can pray for those things. You can pray for something as big as God, save my neighbor. Or something as small as, God, please give me patience so I don't kill my neighbor's dog because he's keeping me awake at night. Not that I've ever had to pray that, but it happens, I hear, right? You can pray for things that are as big as cancer and as small as a canker sore. That's what we're reminded right here. How good is our God? man? He says, there's no requests that are too big or too small for me. And listen, because not only, God, not only does God love to give, but because he also loves to forgive, you can go to him rather than trying to like work your way out of your brokenness and your sin, no matter how jacked up you are or sinful you are, you can go to him right now as you are. And you can say, Father, forgive me of my sins. And because of the work of Christ on the cross, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And not only that, he says that you can taste so much forgiveness, you can actually begin to forgive others. You can be freed from bitterness. And you can be freed from, from, from this slavery of sin that says, I've always got to fall back into these same sins over and over and over. No, he says, not only will I forgive you of sins, but he says in verse 4, I will actually make sure that you're not led into more temptation. I will try to ensure that, that you do not fall back into the same patterns of sin over and over and fall into the same bad stuff that is robbing you of the life that you were created for and are longing to experience. This is what prayer does. And so today, as we begin to kind of come in for a landing, here's what I want you to think about. If you look back again at the Lord's Prayer in your Bible, what I want you to see here is this is not simply a liturgy that you're called to recite. It's a template that we are called to follow. Okay, what I mean by that is, when, when it comes to learning how to pray, Jesus doesn't give us this so that we literally wake up every morning and say, okay, if I'm going to pray, this is I got a Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, right? Like you don't, this is not meant to be a liturgy to recite, it's a template to follow. 
And here's the template. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Notice that the Lord's Prayer starts first with orientation. If you want to learn how to pray, you have to orient your heart towards who God really is. And who is He? He's your Father in heaven. Hallowed be His name. He loves you. He's for you, right? And He's better than anything else that the world can offer you. It then moves from orientation to intercession. And this is interesting. It moves to, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom come, not my will be done. Guys, intercession is so important for us because we often approach all of life, including our relationship with God, that it's all about me, 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 me. Intercession says no, it's about God's kingdom. Then after intercession, he says, there's supplication. That's the time when you do roll out your list and you say, give us the daily bread. Here's my needs, here's my wants. And then there is confession. Oftentimes, if you leave that up there, Ryan, don't we reverse that order when we pray? Aren't we tempted to just, first off, like move right past confession, and then we just go to supplication, and we're like, okay, God, good to see you again. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, I just want to pray that you give me a comfortable life, keep my kids safe today. Um, if you don't mind, I need a little bit more money. My bank account's kind of running low. Also, um, if you don't mind, I want to be able to retire with enough money where I can get a lake house or go on a lot of vacations and eventually die in my sleep at a really old age and see you in heaven. Oh, yeah, and by the way, uh, also, I do pray for the church, pray for the city, bless the poor, amen. Right? It's kind of the temptation. And what you need to understand is when you pray this in reverse, it's not the Lord's Prayer, it's the American Prayer. And it's why for some of us, prayer just seems so weak and shallow and just not helpful. And so today, in light of all that, here's what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to start a new practice Right? Remember, in these series on practicing the way, we're actually taking what's being taught and we're trying to practice it together. And so just as we did last week, you're going to have a discussion guide in your missional communities. If you're not in a missional community and you want to get in, to get in one, now's a great time to do it. You can come and you can talk to me at the welcome table. I'll help you do that. But you're going to get a discussion guide. And basically, you're going to dive deeper into this sermon from this morning, talk about it, discuss it. Um, you're also going to talk about the practice from the previous week. How did that go? Where did you struggle? Right? Was it encouraging? Was it discouraging? What, you know, what did you find out? But then the new practice for this week is simply learning to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's to follow this template of orientation, intercession, supplication, and confession. And listen to me, guys. This is going to probably, for a lot of you, feel like a discipline. Okay, But please keep in mind, as you begin to engage in this, prayer itself is not the end goal. Prayer is a means to an end, and that end is a relationship with God. You think about my own relationship with my wife. We try to go on date nights fairly regularly, which has become actually almost quite impossible with three kids, but we try to go on a date night regularly. And the whole point of date night is not date night itself. The point of date night is so I can cultivate a loving relationship with my wife. Because at the end of the day, if I don't spend time with my wife, like that love's not going to grow. It's going to actually go the other way. It's what's the cheesy saying that love is spelled T-I-M-E, right? Like that's so true. And it's certainly true when it comes to your relationship with your Heavenly Father. You have got to carve out time to spend with the Father. Guys, this is not enough for you. I promise you, this is not enough for you. This is incredibly important. Preaching, incredibly important. Music and all that's so important. But you cannot just go the whole week and not spend any time with God and then come in here and be like, I don't know why I didn't feel him today. Well, because you've been absent from him all week. I mean, he's been there for you, waiting for you, but you've been away from him. We have to carve out time. And I think for a lot of us, I'm just going to be real practical, that's probably going to mean in the morning. I know some of you are not morning people, 
But the people that I talk to, what happens is they mean well, and they're like, okay, I'm going to read my Bible at night, I'm going to pray at night. But if you have kids especially, what do you feel like after you get your kids down for bed? Yeah, I'm done, dude. Like, I'm going to veg out on Netflix and just like, oh, I feel like I just ran a marathon. Right? Most of us, we have no willpower. That's why we're like eating junk food at night. I mean, we're watching stuff we shouldn't be watching. I mean, we're just irritable. That's not a great time for most of us. Maybe for some of you. But I think for the most of us, we're going to have to start carving out times in the morning to practice this. And I love what uh, Paul Miller says. He wrote a book called The Praying Life, which I think is the best book on prayer out there. If you want to read more, there it is, the title up there. And he says, you want to cultivate a, a, a prayer life, a healthy prayer life, here's what you do. Ready for these steps? This is like rocket science. Get in bed, right? Like, Don't stay up till 11 o'clock at night, 11, 15 at night. Get in bed, get up, get awake, which I love that part, right? I get your coffee, whatever. Get to a quiet place, get going, and don't stop. Keep it simple, right? Get in bed, get up, get awake, get to a quiet place, get going, use the Lord's te- uh, prayer as your template this week, and then don't stop. And my hope is, listen, over time, this prayer thing, it's going to move from feeling like a practice for our church to a pleasure. That's my hope, man. I cannot imagine what would happen to our church and our city and our world if the people in this room, if we just found prayer to be like an awesome privilege and, pl- and pleasure. Can't imagine. Um. You know, I, I, I think I'm a, well, I know I'm, I'm a D on DISC. I'm a three on Enneagram. I like an ENTG. Basically, any personality test out there will say that Jerry Pitney hates to sit still, and I've always got to get things done, and I want to get it done yesterday. And so I promise you, out of everybody in this room, there is nobody that's going to find it harder to sit quiet and sit still than me, Okay. And so what I want you to know is when I first started taking this seriously and trying to incorporate prayer into my life years ago, this felt so forced and so hard. And there were times where I honestly was like, it seems counterproductive. But here's the thing. The more that I've done it, over time, I promise you, I've begun to grow to enjoy it more and more and more to the point that even my wife would tell you if she was here, I cannot imagine my days without it now. I cannot imagine it. I mean, honestly, on days where I can't pray, it's like it throws my whole day off. And so this is going to happen. This is going to feel like a discipline, right? But here's the goal. Over time, with practice, this will go. I'm telling you, if you'll stay with it, it'll go from feeling like religious duty to relational delight. And you will not be able to imagine your own life without it. And this is what God is after more than anything, guys. What God is after more than anything, he's not after you to just check a box. He's not after that. What God wants is you. He just wants you. He wants to spend time with his kids.